Well, today we'll be addressing a question from a listener. She asked, what is the role of women in the church? Well, if you like the sound of nervous male voices, you will hear it today in an all-new episode from C28. First off, let's take a moment and thank the listener who brought this question to us. <laughs> yeah. What would we have done without her? <laughs> yeah. So um, I don't really have a really great intro into this topic. Do you? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's all right. I think that's okay, though. Like, it's it's all right if uh, if we show a little bit of seriousness around even culturally sensitive topics. So Yes. So... We are very aware that this question is, um, uh, at the very least, emotionally charged, right? And, mm-hmm. it, and it comes from, um, I believe, largely from uh, maybe misunderstanding, but also um, a, a, a cultural lack of support, care, understanding, equality, and all those things. Um, so those things all play a role into this being like an emotionally charged um, conversation. I, I would imagine that if um, there was no culture involved and that somebody asks, what does the Bible say about men's role in this world and women's role in this world? We could approach it and wouldn't be so emotionally charged. But there's mm-hmm. been so much uh, distrust formed and mistreatment had that... Um, there's pain and scars that um, maybe are going to be um, touched or the fear that they're going to be reopened. Um, and so because of that, um, it's emotionally charged. Yeah. I, I and mean, well, and there's, there's been real abuses of some passages in the Bible. Absolutely. Right. That have been yeah. used to do terrible things to people. Absolutely. And people in the name of these verses and scripture doing horrific things, Um, granted, you know, many of the ones we see in the news also have mental illness along with them Mm -hmm. when, uh, somebody maybe, um, has some mental illness and then gets, uh, uses religion as the platform for which they're going to do horrific things that aren't biblical. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's, and then, so that is then promoted out into, uh, the, the, the world and the media and some people don't really know what the Bible says about things. So they assume those things are true about it. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to mention is that, oh, and this is the other thing. The other thing I was going to mention is that we are going to actually deal with a text that is countercultural. Yeah. And so then there are going to be people that listen to this and they will, they are going to disagree with what the Bible says. And, and for me, I am far more okay with that than us misrepresenting something and standing behind something that isn't true. So Mm -hmm. I'd rather talk about what the Bible actually says and have good conversations um, around uh, how do we deal with what the Bible says. Yeah. Here's what I think is going to happen is my my, uh, Presbyterian friends are going to say that I'm not being reformed enough and... (laughs) <laughs> my Pentecostal friends are going to say that I'm being too reformed in my understanding. Oh yeah. And I'll probably walk away displeasing a lot of people on both sides. There will be absolutely no way we leave this conversation without, without <laughs> having people upset with us on, on both sides. <laughs> yeah, You're right. Yeah. So again, thank you listener 
who brought this question to us. <laughs> but in her defense, um, CJ and I both love this woman to death. She's Absolutely. a wonderful lady. And her question is in good faith. And uh, um, also, I believe that it's a, it's a question that we should. I mean, if we're going to have a podcast mm-hmm. entitled what it's entitled, yep. that these are the questions that we must be challenged to talk about. And so with that, uh, let us also start by saying that we are approaching this with, a tr- with an attempt to have a tremendous amount of grace and mercy and humility um, addressing this and also knowing that there are certain things that we can know for sure and certain things that we don't know for sure. And we'll try to be careful with those things as well. Yeah. Yeah. And um, encouraging, well, I mean, ourselves, but also listeners that just because there have been um, abuses of a passage or the Bible in general or something, uh, that doesn't mean that we stop seeking truth and we stop seeking the intended meaning of a text, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the uh, weight shouldered by pastors. And when pastors do it wrong, uh, the Bible literally says that we will be held accountable for that and that we'll be judged strictly on that. And um, and also when we don't say, address things that are true, or we try to make them more palatable to culture, um, that that also is wrong, we'll be held accountable for those things also. So this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. This is where, you know, studying the Bible and... Um, pastoral work also is the trenches dealing with stuff like this where um you know it's a countercultural concept here that mm-hmm. we're going to talk about but also did we say what we're going to talk about yet well kind of okay uh, in, in the intro <laughs> i just realized that i was like wait a second did we even say what the question was yeah so oh, okay. the question for those who didn't catch it in the intro here um what is the role of women in the church gotcha that's okay. what was asked perfect so. I just blanked on whether we actually said the no, question or not. No, it's good, good okay. clarification. Okay. So um, I'll just start off with this. There's two words that I think are important um, for us to kind of grasp first before we get to the text. Uh, one is a word. Um, it's a Greek word that is pronounced something close to episcope. And another version of the same word that we'll see is episcopos. And those those words mean overseer. Okay. Another word um, is presbuteros. That is a word that means elder. And so those are two key words we're going to talk about. And just to uh, jump to the end and we'll fill in there, those are the two words that are used when the Bible speaks about um, roles for men. And there are um, kind of a design whether in life or in church uh, structure, that there are roles given. And so um, those are the two that when people ask this question, typically we're going to get to First Timothy and Titus very quickly. And we're going to deal with those two words very quickly. Now, I will give the listener that put this question in um, this exception that we are reading into her question. Yeah, that's right? true. We're yeah. jumping to what we assume is going to be the conversation that we have often um, where she may be just really looking for in our local church where you and I work at, um, what are some ways that women can be involved there? Yeah. And so my hope is to conclude with those things as well. But in the meantime, let's, let's address what we suppose is the hot topic question. Well, and can I say something before you dive in? When we talk about roles and design, 
and, and things like that, concepts like that, we're not talking about, um, I think this would be helpful at the beginning, but we're not talking mm-hmm. about competency. Right. I have a quote we're going to read about that, but go ahead. Okay. We're not talking about competency or even giftings necessarily, I think. There might be some discussion around that, but, um, or, or natural ability or whatever you want to call it, right? We're not, yeah. we're not talking about those. We're talking about design. So check this out. Okay. I have this little, I'll just read part of it. I didn't mean to jump ahead on you. This part isn't the quote. This is just my thought right before the quote. Um, I have this, uh, this, this discussion is not about suitability for leadership or authority. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so we're not coming at this as like, well, men are just more suited for it naturally. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's what the Bible says actually. And then the quote that follows my boy, Kent Hughes comes out (laughs) and says some real pointed stuff. But, um, what I thought we would do, um, those two words overseer, and elder are going to uh, come up in this conversation. Um, the word uh, overseer that uh, episcope is in Acts, Philippians, First Timothy, Titus, First Peter. The uh, presbyteros is in um, Acts chapter 2, 4, 6, 11, 14, 15, 16, 21, 23, 24. First Timothy 5, Titus 1, Hebrews, James, First Peter, and all through Revelation. So it's not... We're, we're, just so we're on the same page also, we're not talking about these obscure words, the words that are used often and for a purpose and uh, pretty consistently. So um, with that, uh, I have First uh, Timothy 3, 1 through 7, I was going to read. That usually is a part of the conversation. Um, if Unless you had something else you wanted to start with. No, you go ahead. Oh, and and I'll, I'll riff off of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just, after I read it, I'm going to stop. I'm going to let you talk. Okay. okay. <laughs> Might this, be a mistake. This is 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Uh, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own house, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. So that is one of the passages that's used to talk about as far as that office of overseer, um, that is an office that God has designed to be held by men. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> this is what you were talking about. Take it away. Okay. Um, and I would argue that we don't see that office held by anyone but men in scripture. Um, and, and that is, it's not always a popular opinion because there's different people and things happening that can be pointed to. But um, I, I think that what's helpful is to distinguish the office from the action that is happening. So we see like, um, mm, who, good, who yeah. are we talking about? Um, the woman who, who is teaching Paul's associates, like they, um, man, not Lydia. I don't have notes on it, uh, but hold on, stand by. Okay. Anyways, uh, there's like this small group atmosphere happening, right? Where a woman in her home is uh, helping to illuminate scripture for a oh, man. I don't have that text. Yeah. I have Paul's. That's all right. 
It's just proof that we don't polish this stuff. (laughs) We don't study like literally just a conversation, but yeah, this is um, supposed to be raw conversation. So here we are. Here we are. Anyways, that, that happening, um, I don't think is what Paul is talking about. There's a difference between, um, someone instructing another person and the office of elder or overseer, um, that I think is helpful to distinguish between the two. Yeah. And so now that we read the first section of text that we go to, and people may be thinking, the question is, what role uh, do women have in the church? And we immediately go to this one section, and this is why. Because it's not like there's a bunch of things that God has said. Now, women can and can't do that, and men can and can't do that. There is there is just this one spot, and if we talk about this one spot where there is a differentiation, the, the rest, we link arm in arm mm-hmm. in any other um part part of ministry and so we're just trying to define this very hot topic this sensitive area this emotionally charged area with this office of elder and overseer being reserved for men by god not based on necessarily competency or ability or effectiveness but that that is just the structure he has set up and so we have submitted to that and then everything else outside of that um, we believe it does not have uh gender qualifications sure and um and this is what i just said will literally get us in trouble with both sides yeah yeah i agree that's what i meant by like my friends on this side won't like this yeah some of the things we say my friends on this side won't like some of the things we say but yeah i think there's um i think you just have to reckon with it with what's actually in the text right Mm -hmm. and so I, i think that you can have an overzealous complementarian uh that wants to take some of these and apply them to areas of life that they probably ne- not necessarily should be applied to. Yeah, there's another text in Titus 1, 5 through 9. Uh, it says this, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, so now there's both words being used interchangeably here. For an inner, mm. for an overseer, as uh, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those uh, who contradict it. Um, The next text I want to read is a text that is going to also use elder and overseer interchangeably. uh, And that is Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 28. It says this, uh, and I'm not going to attempt... Well, okay, I will attempt the names. All right. <laughs> Just for entertainment purposes, you have to attempt the names. You need a good laugh? Listen up. <laughs> now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them. So now he just said he called the elders to the, um, to the church of the church to come to him. And he's, they're gonna, he's gonna talk to the elders. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trails that happened to me through trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public 
and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you um, among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now listen to this. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. So there's a lot there. But in the beginning, he calls together the elders. Later, he calls them overseers. And then also kind of explains what the job of overseeing is. Yeah. And uh, in, that, in that, we literally have uh, the two words we talked about here, one being the epis, episcope and the presbyteros mm-hmm. uh, being used there interchangeably. So those words are being used interchangeably for an office that... Um, over and over again, has been referred to as an office to be held by men. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, One of the places that I thought would be worth bringing up, um, 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 15. Okay, so if you're going to read that, let me say, because I have that note also, let me say what I was going to say before that. Yeah, yeah, sure. And so then I can feel good in my conscience, okay? Okay. Um, (laughs) What what I come to as as we study the Bible well, one may say this is not those texts you just read is not barring women from that office. It's just assuming that men are in that office, which is a good point to bring out. Um, so it's not saying in the negatory that women should uh, not, but affirming that men should. And so then um, in good Bible study habits, we would look um, in scripture to see, is there, are there other passages then that go on to say, specifically if we're going to say that those positions are to be that position is to be held by men then Mm -hmm. is there a passage that specifically states that it is not for women right is it explicit as well as implicit right and so then as we move on then we can start maybe talking a little bit more about about why and the implications of that so go ahead and read your passage okay so this is first timothy 2 8 through 15 um and, and right off the bat verse 8 says well, let me back up for a minute. I believe that this is one cohesive thought from Paul. Okay, so this is all one okay. all one thing that he's... Thank you. That helps me have that little bit of feedback there. So I think this is all one cohesive thought from Paul. And he starts off this thought by saying, I desire then that in every place, right? So I desire then that in every place. So he's not talking about just this one church, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then he goes on to give instruction to men and women. Mm-hmm. Not just women. He gives instruction to men and women. And this is what he says. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. 
Rather, she is to remain uh, quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And this is this is key, right? Starting in verse 13. Mm-hmm. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Transgressor. I really need to nail that last word. Transgressor, <laughs> not gresher. <laughs> Sorry, my nerves are all over yeah, the place with this conversation. So um, he, he starts off saying, these are instructions for all places, right? In every place, this is what needs to be happening. And then he grounds the conversation in creation, mm-hmm. which is really key because what he's saying or what he's saying is that this is not um, an unfortunate implication of exactly. sin, right? He, this is not an unfortunate implication of sin. This is going back to the good design of the garden. And so, and maybe I'm cutting you off. Go ahead. But cut me off. The uh, <laughs> My hands are shaking. The, <laughs> it's good. They should be. Uh, the One of the arguments that come up is that this was a cultural thing. Yep. And uh, so the point of this would also be that this is, uh, this is not cultural. This is designed mm-hmm. and this is designed by God. And from the very beginning that this is how this would work. And so we have, there's this one particular office, this, this overseer, elder pastor situation being for some reason set aside and said that that is a position to be filled by men. Yeah. And then the reason is not cultural, it's by design, mm-hmm. and the roots are back at the very idea of um, and concept of creation and how we are created in the very beginning. We're talking about the ideal design. Right. And again, we're not talking about competency. Right. Right. And I also want to point out that I don't think the Bible teaches that Eve was deceived because of any greater gullibility. I, I don't think that's the implication of what it's saying, and that's kind of a rabbit trail we don't need to go down, but... I don't think that's what it's talking about. So uh, not competency, competency, not gullibility, design. Okay. Right? So then uh, we're at this point now, and I do this a lot in our podcast, right? Yeah. On these more difficult ones uh, or scary ones, just kind of <laughs> go by, get our uh, our stones laid out that we walk upon. And yeah. so um, we already kind of summarized where we're at. So now we're at this point where we're like, okay, so that we, we believe, and, there, and there's a lot of study that can go into this. This is a podcast. We try to keep it under you know, 50 minutes now, right? (laughs) It used to be 20, but now it's like, we'll just try to be under 50 minutes. So uh, that it seems reasonable to believe that the truth of scripture for some reason has this one office, this one little portion Mm -hmm. of what the church does in the world set aside for men. And so then we can start getting into more, maybe if that is what we believe the truth is, then what are the practical implications of that? And, uh, and one of the things that CJ and I, as you probably can tell, have had a lot of qualifications along the way and exception clauses saying like, hey, but we're not saying this, but we don't think the Bible's saying this. And so uh, this is Kent Hughes. This is uh, part of his commentary on this passage. Um, <laughs> so I, if you don't like it, you go talk to Kent Hughes. <laughs> no, this, this, this is, this is going to be good. All right. So my comment right above this was that... Um, in my notes here is that this discussion is not about suitability for leadership or authority. It's not about like who's suited best. It's not about who's competent enough, who's, who's smarter, who's better at it. And I think that is what happens in the evangelical church and whatever churches around the world. Right. That, that we interpret this as if it's because men are better 
Right. And we absolutely 100% do not believe that men are better in any way, any, not, not a scintilla, <laughs> as R.C. Sproul says, okay. not a scintilla better than men uh, or women is yeah. or men or men is women that we are created. We're God's creation and we all have mm-hmm. the same purpose yeah. to glorify God and same mission. Yeah. And then in that working and, and I don't know why, to be honest, but God sets apart this role for men and sets apart this role for women as just these two things that, that we aren't supposed to inter interchange. Mm-hmm. And one would be, I believe there's this office of overseer, elder pastor, and there's this childbearing and that those aren't to be interchanged. Uh, and for whatever reason. So let me read what Kent Hughes says on this passage in the passages regarding um, this office being held by men it says this. This passage is not about male or female superiority. Any honest male knows that the grading curve was always messed up by the girls in class. (laughs) What man has not been outthought, outtalked, outdone by his female counterparts? Your experiences need be no larger than your family to know women who are superior to their fathers, brothers, and husbands. This is not about suitability for leadership either. It is a statistical fact that American women read more Christian books than men and attend church in greater numbers. They are more relationally oriented and more naturally empathetic. They are more intuitive about where people are. They are more verbal and are natural communicators. Furthermore, church leadership is not about power. Mm -hmm. It's about dying. That's how Paul defined the new covenant ministry. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 10 through 12, he quotes here. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that this life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. This is about fidelity to God's word. This is about inviting God's word to shape the life of the church rather than the intrusive winds of culture. And make no mistake, if we do not let the Bible do it, culture will. One of the parts in there, after all all of it was good, but there's this part he said, this isn't, he said, this isn't, uh, about these things and then he and then in the last sentence last couple sentences he says this is about fidelity to god's word and fidelity is like faithfulness loyalty uh, support and i think he hammers what i wish would be preached all the time Mm -hmm. that um this isn't about male or female superiority yeah this is about fidelity to god's word and i will say so like personal note time um i don't know why God only wants men in that one particular office, right? We're not talking deacon or deaconess. We're talking about that pastor, elder, overseer. I, I don't know why. Why is why are men supposed to be the head of the household? And side note, I think men jack up that relationship constantly too and misuse scripture and misunderstand and misinterpret scripture all the time and what it means to be the head of the household. Um, and I don't think it always means I'm the one in charge making all the decisions. I think that's um, typically a very shallow man who's a coward. Yeah, Ephesians five, right? To be 
to, to love your wife like Christ loved the church. He died for her. Yeah. Right. To come and die. Yeah. He sacrificed for her. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, there's a word. Um, it's not deferred, but we're basically what you want gets deferred at times for what's better for the family, what's better for your wife. Yeah. And so anyways, um, so my point was, I don't know why that is the case either, but I want to practice fidelity as yeah. well. And, and I think on the other side, um, like, and I'm not saying, right, this is super dangerous what I'm about to do here. So just give me grace when I say this. And it's the idea is first that first to think broadly about this concept. Um, say there's a husband and wife who agree that like, I think you would be a better stay at home dad than I would be stay at home mom. Mm-hmm. Right. And so even in that case, I don't think they should switch roles. Yeah. I think there should be fidelity. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of our issues with this text is cultural um, because of misunderstandings. But also I believe that our nature is to always want what we don't have. Yeah. So there are parts of me and this is the part, have grace with me. Okay. Have mercy right now. Okay. There are times where not because I think it's an easy job to be a stay at home mom at all. There are times when, when I am at work and have the responsibilities and the weight of certain things on my shoulders where, yeah, I do long for that. And there's times where I believe my wife longs to just be out of the house and to take what I'm doing, have that responsibility. Mm-hmm. But yet there's this fidelity. There's a submission to scripture where we say, these are the roles we believe that God wants us to practice. And so we're going to do those things. Um, and we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to empower us to fulfill what the Lord has us there. Yeah. And so in part of my comment about rebelling is imagine if things were different where scripture does say the opposite. And so imagine this, that it was, it was, um, it was women that were charged with being essentially the breadwinners um, and leader in the, in the church and that men were to stay at home and make their orientation at home and care for the household and the family. Um, I believe that there would be a huge rebelling over that as well because there would be, well, why does, why did, why are the women have to go out and make all the money and the men just sit at home? Right. I think there would be an equal issue there. And if it, and it's switched now and there's an issue there. And I think uh, there, I mean, it goes back, I believe long story short to the curse in the garden. Also, we're yeah. always going to, um, we're fallen and mm-hmm. then we're going to be trying to usurp each other constantly. Yeah. Um, but I think that part of it is just our sinful nature to walk, what we can't have. Yeah. When, when the Lord says, uh, you know, whatever it is like, like drunkenness is sinful. Well, then we kind of long to, oh, instead of being like, Oh, drunkenness is sinful. Let's stay away from that. It's like, how close to that line can I get? Mm-hmm. And we want that, right? Yeah. Uh, sex outside of marriage, you know, um, sex inside of marriage is bomb. I love it. Uh, <laughs> but the, the world, um, like we know we're in a completely sexualized world but there's these constraints put on it. The Lord says, this is what's best and this is how it's designed. But yet what are we constantly praying against and fighting the battle of right? Purity. Yeah. And I believe that this is just part of that also. Yeah. Uh, We don't want stipulations put on us. We don't want division. We don't want uniqueness. We don't want tasks. We want everybody to do whatever they want. And the Lord says, I want you to do this. And we're always going to struggle whenever the Lord says, this is what I say. Yeah. And we have something else we want. Well, and I think there's something appropriately um, prideful about fallen human nature that looks at the design that God has prescribed for his people and says, 
I could do it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And looks at it and says, well, if I designed it, it'd be a lot better than God's design. You're saying that even what I just said, like, I don't understand it. I think this person would be better for that. Yeah. Like we're, that is me in the secret parts of my heart saying, I think I can do it better than God can. Maybe. That wasn't exactly what I was going for, but I mean, <laughs> that's the Holy Spirit's <laughs> conviction, I guess. Uh, I'm just saying that when we when we look at Scripture and when something is, I believe, as plainly clear as this, and we still say, um, I could do it better, or I, I don't like that, so I'm not going to do it that way, I think it just reveals, like, the doctrine of depravity, you know? I mean, it just is another example of how we're prideful and we think we're wise unto ourselves and we do things our own way instead of the way that God, who the Bible is very clear is good, Mm -hmm. right? And is wise and loves us and is for his people has designed something. So if we believe all those things about God, why would we not trust him to design family, church, society a certain way? Right. And when I'm longing for something I don't have, even those times where I'm like, man, like I don't want this responsibility. I want that responsibility instead. Um, one thing that helps me, I don't know if this will help other people. Maybe this is some practical advice, but you know, scripture talks about our life being a vapor, right. And talks about this life being short. Yeah. And I think that in the grand scheme of eternity, it is, if you don't believe in eternity, this life's long and arduous. However, in the reality of eternity, this is such a short amount of time, and the Lord is saying, "Obey me." And I believe in the in the in the final part of uh, salvation and the order of salvation that the glorification this will all make sense. And let's not make a mistake. Also, that um, I know it comes from a superhero movie, uh, but with great responsibility, with great power comes great responsibility. And I think that the Bible speaks to that actually i believe that whenever it talks about if you're teaching be careful not many of you should be teachers like if if a if you who are uh, teachers or preachers um or overseers and you lead people astray there is this greater judgment even for um for the very fact that you are you are the head of the household also um i don't know if we really understood what that meant if we would be clamoring at that job title Mm -hmm. um that there are plenty of failures that are going to happen in my family that weren't myself that did them or failed, but that will be put on my shoulders on the day of judgment, I believe, um, because I've failed in some way and um, in leading that household. Yeah. And that seems like petty now, but when the king of the universe says, I'm the one that judges and you got to sit before him and hear that, that's a lot, that's a lot more than having, thinking that your judgment is some, you know, some self-proclaimed wizard that is going to tell you how good you did or not. That's not how it is. It's not a friend sitting down and being like, you weren't a good dad or you're not a good husband. This is the king of the universe saying these failures in your family that broke your heart were your fault and you're going to be held accountable for those things. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, I mean, it goes back to the garden again, right? Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. I mean, Adam did not eat of the forbidden fruit first but he really is held responsible. Mm-hmm. There was repercussions for Eve, but yeah. Well, but, and but, then he also tried to blame his wife. Well, right. Yeah. Know? But, and Paul's clear that like sin came into the world through one man, yep. right? Through Adam. Right. So he was held responsible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's, and he's the one we point the finger at, right? Because he is responsible. Yeah. So in, in summary, uh, we have this, we, we do believe that there is this one narrow, narrow position, 
office that is articulated in scripture actually very clearly is to be held by men. And that is the um, elder overseer, what we call pastor. Those are the ones. Yep. And that is clear. And then we talked about what it is and what it is not, Mm -hmm. right? It's just part of God's plan. It's not superiority. And so then we get to this point here where we have to come to terms with, we have not answered the woman's question. Yeah. She said, what is the role right. of women in the church. And so um, if you want to start that off, I don't know if you have anything over there. Um, if yeah. Not, okay, let's go. Yeah, so uh, well, actually back to 1 Timothy 2. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what I got. Verse 11. I got two, three, 2, 3 through 5. Okay, perfect. So let me say this and you you get those. Sounds good. Okay, <laughs> so 1 Timothy two eleven, Paul says, let a woman learn. Right, and I think what we do is we get hung up on let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, which take a whole other podcast to really unpack those things, right? But just the fact that at that time in history and in that culture, Paul is authoritatively telling men to let a woman learn is like very like revolutionary. Tell us why, because right, people might not know why. Okay, so um, especially like in Jewish culture, which Paul's coming from, mm-hmm. um, it was it was seen as so if a woman held the sacred texts, right? Uh, most I guess most of the Old Testament, maybe some other texts also. Right. If she even touched them, they had to burn them, right? That that was the that was the thought among some rabbis at the time. Like mm-hmm. that, there was no women. Not us, though. Not not not, us. not these let's rabbis. Not get, let's not get that confused. <laughs> We're yeah. not burning nothing. No, and so for Paul, who came from a very conservative uh, rabbinic school, mm-hmm. to say let a woman learn is just completely countercultural. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, countercultural. So the culture is gonna be like. He's crazy. He's going to lose credit. He's right. also losing friends over that, by the way. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And his school would probably disown him. His rabbis wouldn't want to be associated with him as a former student, anything like that. Um, and and I think that that is something that you see in Christianity, like in Christian history, church history, that Christians are committed to education of all people. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. like we, like Christians are historically the ones building schools, the ones building mm-hmm. colleges, yep. um, the ones building hospitals, so we can keep people alive long enough to yep. educate them. A right? truth lost in time, right there. Yeah, yep. and so when it when we ask the question like, what is a woman's role in church? I would say almost all of them. That that's my note. Hold on, <laughs> I, I, nearly but everything. That's nearly everything. Yeah, nearly everything. Um, and I think that that we see this play out you know, in our church, um, like the example I was going to talk about was like, we had this discipleship team for the high school mm-hmm. where for a year we read through the entire Bible. We read through, um, Joel Beakey's systematic theology together yeah, among other books. Like it was really intense, right. Going through this. And the team ended up being like just these high school girls because I couldn't motivate any of the guys to do anything. Yeah. And so, we had this this team of girls that dug into the word, right? That took theology seriously, that took doctrine seriously, that took worship seriously. And I'm all about that. Mm-hmm. Like I want a female theologians running around, oh, yeah. right? Like I, I want females who understand how the church is supposed to work and who can hold men's feet to the fire when they aren't leading. Absolutely. The way they should know their work, they should know the Bible well enough to hold the men accountable who aren't leading well. 
right? Who aren't overseeing, who aren't being faithful fathers and husbands and, and misusing some of these texts and abusing some of these texts. Mm-hmm. Like I, I want women in all of those areas. I want educated women in a church. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the one, the one I got, uh, so I just want to start with this verse and then I'm just going to list all the things that just they're literally on the top of my mind. Um, for this lady, he's like, what, what's the role of the women of women in the church? Um, Titus chapter two, verses three through five says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. I think it's, I think that part's kind of interesting too. Like it is interesting in scripture. Sometimes like there's like these susceptible areas to like men and women and they do overlap, but there's certain things they bring up where like men don't do this, you know, like a lot of sexual purity issues, you know? Yeah. And uh, there's, there's more than once where it brings up <laughs> women to be careful with wine. I just think that's it. Paul's like, calm down. <laughs> yeah. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. And the word of God may not be reviled. Uh, there's a huge responsibility there, and there is teaching involved. CJ got another passage that talks about uh, like the the work and the learning. Um, here's a couple things off the top of my head, uh, which is refers to that passage I just read. This first one is seek out younger women and disciple, teach, share, serve, and grow them. Uh, you know, and I think that, and I think that maybe the same would go with with men also. If you're not discipling people younger than yourself and you're clamoring for something greater, you're, you're missing what's important, you know? And so, um, seeking out those younger women, leading small groups. Now this is where some people are going to agree with us. Some people are going to disagree with us. Mm-hmm. Um, we believe that women can lead, lead small groups and, and should, and whether that's a life group or a house group or whatever you call it, right. it's a small group of people that basically you do life together. Mm-hmm. When there's struggles, you shoulder burdens together. You study the word together. You do Bible uh, studies uh, or video series or whatever helps you grow in your knowledge of scripture. So then you can handle life together um, and share in those smaller groups. Um, pray alone, pray together, lead prayer meetings, evangelize, tell your neighbor, um, your coworker, your city, your community, the world about who Jesus is and what he has done. Support missions, be a missionary, be on the welcome team, the greeting team, be a deaconess, um, be in the rest home ministry, be in youth ministry, be on the prayer and care team. So that might be specific to Cornerstone, but (laughs) we have a prayer and care team. Uh, It's such a huge, important ministry that they could busy themselves for decades. Um, There's such a need there. And fulfill the Great Commission. One of the things uh, in uh, Village Church, uh, in their um, what they what they believe statement, their statement of faith, um, they point out it is uh, men and women both of our job to fulfill the Great Commission together. Yeah. And so, in light of literally, I put nearly everything CJ said in a different way. Um, there, it's there is so much to be done together because we are all created in the image of God, male and female. He created them to glorify himself. And so we are all on that same mission together. And there are um, primarily these two things set aside. Only women, uh, I want to do this and only men, I want to do this. But then like the bazillion of things in between, we are co-laborers together and that men can lead a small group and women can lead a small group. Uh, women can pray and talk to the father and men can pray and talk to the father. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So 
I did want to take a moment. I know we're getting close to end of time, but I do want to take a moment. There's a couple passages that I just think are really cool um, where we see uh, women in scripture, um, you know, serving and doing ministry. Um, one is uh, Luke chapter eight. This is verses one through three. Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were there with him and also some women who were who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called uh, Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager and Susanna and many others who were provided for them um, out of their means. And Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 2. Um, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at uh, Caesarea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. In Philippians 4, chap- uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. Um, these are the ones where I struggled with the names here. Um, I entreat Udia and I entreat Sintichi to teach, uh, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And then also you have these uh, situations like Lydia, who's the first believer in her area, I absolutely believe, rightfully, this woman was preaching and sharing the gospel and leading people to Christ, and the church began on the back of Lydia. Yeah. Um, so uh, let us not miss those things as well. We're just talking specific design by Christ in these uh, in this one office um, of elder, pastor, and overseer. Yep. Yeah. I would just encourage everyone to make sure that your opinions are formed from the word of God and that you don't forsake the Bible or, or explicit scripture for pragmatic reasons um, or to ease interactions with an increasingly hostile culture towards a biblical worldview. Absolutely. I mean, I CJ and I literally didn't want to do this episode, but we believe that it, um, that to be faithful, we must, you can't shy away from it. We have to answer this question. And so where we come from is our from what we stand on is scripture. And so um, we would love to have conversations about this. Email us, text us, uh, reach out to us in one way or another. We'd love to have a conversation with you. But the foundation for our conversation must be scripture because that's where we're going to go to. And uh, so we'd love to have that. And I'm sure there'd be great conversation around it. Any last thoughts, CJ? No, that's it. All right. Well, I think that... Uh, Spoiler alert. This is our last episode for this season. We will be continuing uh, to prepare episodes and uh, material. And our plan is to begin starting in um, beginning of February. Yeah. And we will have... Season two coming out. Season two. And we will have... uh, Our plan is three episodes a month. Is that right? Three to four. Yeah, somewhere in there. <laughs> Three to four. Yeah. And so we're, we're trying gonna, to up what we're doing currently. Yeah, so we're taking some time and we're going to prepare in a little bit different way. There's some interviews we want to do to be able to bring in. And so this is our last episode of this season. We are going to be doing a giveaway 
that I think we have to talk about here, don't we? Yeah. Don't you want to talk about it? Yeah. So pretty soon, I, I would say within the next week, um, you need to be watching our Facebook page because we'll be posting what the giveaway is, like what it is that we're giving away. There's going to be some resources in there that we've used um, in preparation for these different episodes from season one and maybe some other cool stuff. Um, and, and the way we're going to do it is we're going to make that post. You're going to see pictures of what we're giving away. And to be entered, all you have to do is share the post and like the Facebook page. Share the post, like the Facebook page. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. Two things. That's it. Share the post and then like the Facebook page and then you'll be entered. And we have an online calculator that randomizes and we'll pick a winner and then we'll contact that winner and give it to you. And part of checking our Facebook pages, you'll see what is in that giveaway. Yep. And uh, we are determined to make it worth everybody's time. Um, so thank you very much for um, a season of yeah. listening. And our next season, our plan is more frequent, more topics, more episodes, and adding in a couple new little elements such as, uh, you know, it, uh, interviews and, and things like that to be able to play along and get some other people involved yeah. in these discussions as well. Right. So also just a quick thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. Uh, we've had some big people step up and it's been really nice for getting, uh, you know, some of our equipment purchase that that uh, has made this a little bit easier to listen to. And yeah. our next um, project is an area where we can set up our stuff and leave it set up and be able to cut down on setup and take take down time, which will allow us to get more content out. Yeah. So it's it, literally like a completely termite eaten garage that we're retrofitting. You don't have to tell into, people that <laughs> it's gonna, it won't look like it when we're done. But we're retrofitting into like a dedicated media studio. So that's gonna be really exciting. Better quality content coming out. Hopefully that'll help us get it out more frequently, like you said, because we're not having to set up and take down. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, and also thanks to everyone for bearing with us as we learn how to podcast oh, yeah. this last season. No, it's been good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess that is it for this season. This concludes season one. Thanks for uh, joining us. And uh, our hope and prayer is that this has been fruitful for you and that. Uh, your theology and doctrine have become stronger and stronger and stronger through this process. So thanks for teaming up with us and uh, we'll see you at the giveaway and then in the beginning of February.